Hello, Hive Nation, and welcome back to another episode of the Hive Nation podcast, where we bring you experts in coaching, leadership, and personal professional development. Each week, we bring a coach from the Hive Nation to share their expertise so you can grow personally and professionally. Now, here's Jason to introduce this week's guest. Thanks, Greg. Uh, today, we have a special guest, uh, Miss Gail Tibble from uh, Surrey, Vancouver area, uh, British Columbia. Gail is, um, she was a referred to us by a, uh, another uh, past Hive Nation podcaster, and, uh, and we are very pleased to have her on the, on the program here today. Uh, Gail is the uh, president and founder of Incisive Marketing. Um, they do a lot of market intelligence uh, for, uh, is it fair to say, uh, small, medium, and large businesses, Gail? We focus on small and medium-sized businesses. Um, which is excellent. That's uh, what Hive Nation uh, we focus on as well. So um, Gail uh, was exposed at a very early age uh, to different cultures, which you know she incorporated within her business today. And uh, uh, the one thing that, uh, that I did get out of Gail uh, is that she's very competitive and very uh, strives to be the best at absolute everything that she does. So... Uh, uh, Greg, her and I get along very good that way because uh, if you're not first, you're last. And um, she, she's done a lot of uh, research and education studies within uh, on the planet. Really, uh, she's been all over the place. And uh, it's the very first time when I talked to Gail on the phone, uh, she uh, very much impressed me with her uh, knowledge and her expansive uh travel studies uh abroad and i was it's very very interesting to to hear about other cultures from somebody else who basically goes in there you know green and uh takes in all the culture that they can and uh uh strives to be the best at that culture even though they don't know the language so you know that that was very cool that was a very cool conversation that we had but um gail is uh um uh, on the board of the Canadian Research Insights Council. Uh, she's not, been on not, many... not, not now. Not now. <laughs> oh, she was on the board of the Canadian of Research the market, Insights Council. Of the Market Research Association of Canada. Right, because it's called uh, the Canadian Research Now. That's right. Sorry, it's been changed a few times. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. Uh, bottom line is uh, Gail's um, consulting and on board, uh, on the boards of all of a lot of these uh, very important um, companies and or councils have shown that, that how 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 expansive her her knowledge is. So, uh, Gail, thank you very much for being here today. Well, thank you for inviting me. Very uh, interesting business. Pleasure. It is definitely our pleasure. Uh, trust me, uh, you're you're doing us a huge favor here. So we couldn't be any any happier to have you. So I guess I'd just like to start off with, uh, you know, and obviously your your expertise now is marketing and, and uh, we're very much about marketing and about uh, uh, gathering marketing information, but um, our listeners would really be interested in hearing about our, the conversation that you and I had about, about you working for the United Nations uh, in your very first gig type thing, um, moving from uh, Canada to Spain to, to do that. Uh, would you like to just tell us a little bit about that and a little bit about yourself as well for our listeners? 
Yeah, sure. So my first real professional job was was in Spain for the International Commission for the Conservation of Atlantic Tuna. In other words, kind of a fishy business. Anyway, (laughs) it was the first first UN commission that was set up in Spain. And I got the job to actually be the mail clerk. But when I arrived there, I said, hey, wait a minute, you're hiring a statistician. I have a degree in stats. I can do that. So I became the statistician. And it was a really interesting learning experience because it was the first time I'd been out of North America. It was a completely different culture. I didn't speak any of the language at all. And uh, there were, everything was different for me. And I looked at it and said, well, you know, get on board and do it. So I stayed almost three years and, I was, um, a lot of what I did was kind of developing uh, statistical systems, uh, which was, may sound like a simple thing to do, but if you've got one nation that's counting the number of tuna and another the, you know, number of boats and another the weight, it's kind of like, yeah, you gotta, you gotta make it all consistent here. So that kind of, it was a very pivotal piece of professional experience because it was something I was able to you know, bring through my work from from then on. And uh, I've been able to maintain the language quite well. So uh, not only the language, but the culture. So doing work in South America or Mexico or other parts of the world, because of it being a UN commission, everything's done in French, Spanish and English. So the language came reasonably easy. But, you know, Spain's a jumping off point for visiting all of Europe and our members our member countries were from all the fishing, tuna fishing nations in the world. So there were, you know, exposure to a myriad of different cultures and people and, you know, kind of making those all work together. Very interesting. I'm not, not, I don't even know where I would start. Like, you know, like how I would ever get off the plane there and then just decide, well, yeah, I took this job, but I, I, this job isn't good enough. I'm going to take do something else. Then I'm just going to, you know, start from the top and work my way to the bottom. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure how you how you would ever would have done that. Well, you know, you, um, I you, it sort of was. This is the job I got, and I'm going to do it. And I said to them when I first arrived, like, well, you know, I. I could be the statistician and at that time in Spain, statisticians weren't female. So they said, well, you can't be the statistician cause we need a man for that. And I said, oh, well, what can I? Well, they said, you can be the assistant statistician. I said, well, that sounds great. The assistant to who? Oh, to no one. So I thought, well, you know, but you don't put your Canadian hat on, just shut up and make it happen. So I a, love that. Did they give you a mirror in your office so you could talk to <laughs> your boss? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. great. That's a great story. Uh, and of course, you've worked internationally now because of that, right? Like, uh, you know, work with yeah. people. That's, and, and one of the things I did, I mean, I've done several projects in different places, but one of the things I did that I thought, I think is really, was really important was I was doing some work as a marketing professor and we ended up being involved in uh, an international exchange program which was funded by NAFTA and it was basically exchanging students research and professors between Canada the U.S. and Mexico and 
sending those students to other countries, it wasn't as much sending Canadian students to the US, but when they went to Mexico, it just opened their eyes. It was a totally different experience for them. And it was such a growth thing for the participants in it. And the many of the students who came here from Mexico, um, I have contact with, with several of them still. And again, for them, it was very much a life-changing experience. Very neat. I bet that would be a, a great experience to, uh, you know, a stepping stone to wherever you want to go from after that. That's very neat. Yeah. Um, can you tell me just a little bit about what you do with incisive marketing? Yeah, so um, <clears throat> more than, I think, 25, 27 years ago, I decided to start a company that would look at how people can use information better to get themselves ahead. So my first clients were actually um, credit unions, and we looked at using information to locate new branches, look, using information to understand the clientele because different uh, areas, different geographic areas have, you know, different clientele they were serving. Um, and that then became, that, that was kind of the underpinning of their, of being using information to carve out really good strategies, really good tactics, really good growth plans forward. And that's been, that has gone on throughout the development of, of the company. Um, Sometimes those strategies and, and the strategy, the growth plans end up having a big component of coaching to it and a big component. Many people have a great product or a great service, but they don't know the pieces of making that into a great business. So that's been where we've been able to be very, um, very much kind of that, that piece that coached guided could stand back a few feet further than they could and say well I'm not sure about this well you should do it that way so um, that's that is the structure of it right now is basically small to medium-sized companies that really need the strategy coaching growth plan forward really need some assistance in terms of the the, the solid business foundation that's going to make it work that's very I'm also quite an addict to uh, Shark Tank and uh, Dragon's Den. <laughs> I know uh, uh, we talked on the phone about how you actually do like the market research as to the best area of town even to, to put a, a business and stuff. I thought that was very neat. I, I always wondered how they, how, how places like that, like pick the spot. You know what I mean? Like I, I get it. There's a, there's a hundred commercial spots and you know, you just go ahead and pick one, but there's more to it than that. And then it's, it's, it was very neat hearing you uh, explain how that, how that all comes about. Yeah. I mean, one of the, one of the positions I had on the way along was there's a, a Toronto based company called CompuSearch. It's not in existence anymore. It was bought out, but um, I was hired to open the Western Canada branch of it. And the business was very interesting. They had taken um, census data and other data and actually brought it down to a very granular level. And then that was used to identify um, trading areas for companies. So, you know, we would locate 
fast food restaurants and bank, bank branches and where people were going to market things just using this information. It was a very, very rich source of information, but it was very interesting the different ways that it could be applied. Yeah, that's uh, that is interesting. I, I always wanted I always wanted to know how that worked and mm -hmm. how, how how that came about. And so when you and I talked about that, I thought that was super cool. So I, I guess that that'll just kind of blend into to my next question here with you now, Gil. And it it, it kind of is a two sided question because of your international work as well. Uh, so uh, I asked you about it, uh, you know, earlier today, and you know, on how can targeted marketing bridge the culture gap across the world? Meaning, you know, if you're whether you're speaking Spanish, English, French, take your pick. If the message is always the same, no matter what language you spoke, would you ever get the same message out of the marketing? Can you kind of uh, touch on that for us a little bit? Um, I think you can get the same sense of the message. Sometimes the, the details, the nuances of the message have to be a bit different. I mean, sometimes it's as simple as the fact that what's funny in one language isn't funny in another, or what shared information in one language um, is not shared information in, in, in another. So I think with the target market, I think it's understanding, but we always draw like a persona. So we, we actually, I'll actually make, um, I mean, I can't draw anything, but I find a picture, a diagram of somebody with a description of it. So you're focused in on that's who you're aiming at. And I think you have to have, think about the personas in the different cultures you may be addressing. So the targeting is probably broader because you've got a number of different targets you're going for. But what are the drivers of those targets and what's different between one and, one and the other? And um, at the end of the day, what is it? that what are people going to ask about your product or service and how are you going to answer that in a way that they their information that their knowledge is expanded by knowing that or that they want to know more but it's not some things are pretty easy to do and some things i mean you know <clears throat> there's some things we all do we all eat and you know some of those are easier than others some of them are a little more complex than others Visuals are obviously an easy, you know, way of of doing that. But if the mark, if the message is more than just a visual thing, like like you say, like eating, like you see a burger. I mean, that's pretty easy. But uh, you know, there'd be other other messages maybe underlying within something that you know that that you'd have to get across. Well, just a quick little vignette. I was at a conference, speaking at a conference in Mexico, and. Uh, uh, one of the other people who was speaking was also Canadian, and he was showing two or three interesting Canadian ads. And one ad he showed, and I don't know if you'll be familiar with this, is a Molson uh, rant. So it's an ad for Molson beer, but it goes on and on about the differences between Canada and the U.S., basically. And it's a great ad if you're Canadian and... <laughs> We said to him, you know what? It doesn't mean anything. You can't, but we'll have it translated. No, you can't translate it. You don't, you don't understand the differences and what it's trying to say. So sometimes there's no translation because there's the, there's so little shared information. <clears throat> Messages lost within mm -hmm. the translation. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, 
The other question I have for you is, is how important is a positive business culture in corporate culture to you? I, th I think it's, it's like the soul of the company. You know, if you, the, the corporate culture, it's like, it's what you feel like when you go into that business is what you, when you work in that, in that business, it's knowing that, you know, your values and your beliefs are <clears throat> those across the company. And I think you get better engagement with people. You get, people are more, more open, more creative, more innovative because they're freer to say what they think. They're freer to critique other people. I think you get a much richer uh, group of people if you've got, if you have a solid corporate culture. It, I don't think it, it's not easy to do, but, and it's something that's a daily requirement, but it is something that I think it makes a difference even to the bottom line. People are more engaged. People, there's less, there's less churn. I mean, people tend to to leave less, and it tend you tend to be maybe have an easier time of engaging like-minded people. Um, the challenge is to make sure when you're hiring people that they are going to fit in with that culture. But I think it is uh, maybe even understated in terms of what it brings to the brand of the company, what it brings to, I mean, your employees are basically your brand ambassadors and they're, if they're speaking well of the company, I think it makes a big difference. So I really think that corporate culture is extremely pivotal in the success of a company. We always talk about the value that, that an employee <laughs> can bring, you know, like, uh, you know, if you, if you show uh, value in them, they'll show value in you, right? And, uh, you know, that part of it would be the, the corporate culture touching on that, that part of that where it's, uh, I guess, you know, make everybody part of the team is, is kind of your message there. Yeah, and I think if people feel free to, to critique, to add to something, to want to change something, I think you end up with a better result. I mean, you have to be you probably end up with less hierarchy, but you have to be open to letting them do that. And, but as long as they do, the, the conversation, the communication in the organization is, I think is a lot better. We had a gentleman on here not too long ago talking about <laughs> the less hierarchy you have, the more uh, positive spin you have from your, from your employees. And, and he hit the nail right on the head. Like it was, uh, you know, you're, you're engaging your, your employees to make you better and who wouldn't want to, who, we, we just talked about at the beginning, you want to be better, right? You want to yeah. be the best. And so, you know, that, that's part of it, I think. Yeah. Well, and we talk about corporate culture all the time and right from the, like you said, yeah, right from the get-go, is this person a fit for our company and what are we doing every day to keep building that culture? And to kind of extend that a bit, and this might be a bit of a stretch, but with companies, especially the larger a company is, they seem to have a bigger importance on culture. And when we look at marketing, especially business to business marketing, does a company, company's culture add that level of personability to their marketing where it doesn't just feel like big corporate outreach? I think it can. I mean, I think business to business marketing, I think is for some people, it's more challenging because some people have the idea that business to business marketing is 
more serious and less fun and whatever. But I think that um, when the company has a culture that um, it's known to be open and people oriented as opposed to being very rigid, I think that definitely that adding that personality in that kind of a way, but it's not only having that culture, it's communicating the culture. Mm -hmm. So part of it is how do you build that culture? And part of it is how do you tell people that's what the culture is? And I mean, sometimes there's a lot of talk about, about corporate culture, but ultimately it's the people inside that know if that culture is actually alive and well, or if that culture is part of what, we say we do type of thing mm. that's that's really <laughs> interesting you say that we talked with a, a gentleman in saskatoon here lots of lots of grand duche and he talks about that all the time uh your people is your business and uh who better to talk about your business than the people working there because yeah. i had a friend that just got hired by a job and i go so how is it and he goes oh well it's okay versus oh man it's fantastic i got we a do truck they do Friday happy hour. They, you know, let me go coach sports on Wednesday because they know I coach my kids hockey and it's incredible. And you can just tell by how descriptive somebody is when they talk about that culture, if there's action behind it or if it's just corporate, yeah. right? And I think you just touched on something important is that if the culture supports um, life balance, I think it makes a difference as well. Because if you've got the guy that can go and coach the soccer team or the hockey team, whatever it is in the afternoon and work hours, they're going to do that work some other time. They're not going to not do that work. But if you give them that opportunity to have the balance they need, they're much more engaged with the company. I mean, they, they like the company more They're They feel like the company is interested in them. And ultimately um, I think the whole thing of making the employees feel like, they are important, like they're a valuable part of the company, like the company cares about them. I think that makes a big difference. Mm, agreed. Totally agree. Um, so to, to look at the marketing then, so in an instance where a company is doing it right, you know, they do have that culture. There's just so many options and different channels in the <laughs> marketing world today. And a lot of companies, a lot of individuals, that could be very overwhelming. Is there, uh, generally speaking, is there one channel or one kind of option that can provide the most value to companies as far as marketing strategy? Especially, I'll add to that a little bit, Greg, especially if there's a budget involved. Like, you know, like it's easy if you're a big company, you just go and put in TV ad. Yeah. yeah, not everybody uh, can do that. Right? What's a million bucks? Right, right? exactly, right? So, you know, in, 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 the, in the same mind with a budget in mind, uh, Gail, with that question. Um. I would say no, I don't think there's one, one option. I think I, there are so many options today. And there's some things that, oh, you know, you got to be here on social media, you got to be on Instagram and Pinterest and Snapchat and, you know, Facebook. Um, I think it's difficult for people to make the decisions of what's right. And if I can go back to something we were talking about earlier, I think the fact of if you've got those personas, you know who the target market is and you know where they are and where the best place to reach them is because ultimately part of the budget is where can you reach the target market 
best at the most economical price. Right. So if you look at the, the metrics, look at the, the measurements of where people are, what kind of media they consume. I mean, most people are looking for ed- entertainment, education, communication, that kind of thing. So I think the idea is, first of all, knowing exactly where or having a good idea where your audience is going to be and when they're going to be there and having some really good content that's refreshed and and fresh, being really on top of your SEO because the SEO today isn't going to be the SEO, you know, in three months. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it needs to be, you need to make a, a company needs to make a decision based on where their, their market is going to be and based on how well they can communicate in that market. And I don't think there's one, but I think there may be, I, I think it's easier if a company will go for, you know, a maximum of kind of three to five outlets. But if you can repurpose your content across different, maybe across different social media, obviously same general idea, different maybe way of putting forwards to make sure that you're, what you're saying is in line with what the media outlet is. Um, I think you you have to be in more than one place, but I think you can economically be in three to five places. With, with, you have to keep your eye on the metrics all the time. I, I really think watching, you know, who's here and who's looked at this and, you know, how are we doing with this and that constant review allows you to tweak it so you're optimizing your budget. And so you would change the language as per the social outlet as to how... <laughs> maybe it's the demographic of the age group or whatever. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And also the different platforms. I mean, you would, I would say something different on LinkedIn than I would on Facebook, for example. And then some, obviously some platforms are more visually optimized than others. So, you know, the extent to which you can have, I think, good content and and some kind of really good visuals. And sometimes the visual may not be only a short video. Sometimes the visual might be some really punchy infographics. So, you know, what can you put up there as the visual and what can you, how are you going to keep the people there? Because ultimately what you want to do um, with your with your marketing initiatives is you want it to be sticky. You want them to stay long enough that they remember you and that they, I mean, they've got to see your message two or three times, three or four times before they're actually going to act on it likely. Yeah. So, you know, how do you bring them back? How do you keep them engaged? But, um, and it's not, it's a bit of a, I think it's a bit of a balancing act. I think, I think there's, there has been a tendency to say, oh, we need to be on all the social media. Well, most people don't, most companies don't need to be on all the social media. Most companies couldn't, can't manage being on a ton Mm -hmm. of social media because management of it is a, is a chore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so with that being said, on the, on the contrary, is, is like a, a big waste of marketing budget trying to be everywhere all at once and not doing it very well, opposed to Okay, we're going to focus on A, B, and C. Do it really good, and then add on if needed. Is is that a waste that some companies would do? I I think that I think you you've hit it. I think the waste is trying to be everywhere. Sometimes I think the waste is not aligning 
the marketing and sales. I mean, ultimately sales is kind of a marketing function. So if you've not got those aligned, you're, you're wasting an opportunity. But I think the companies that try to go to so many different social media because there's a lot of hype about what you can do on this, that, or the other platform. I think they fragment their audience. I think they fragment their attention. And I don't, um, I, I don't think that from a budget perspective, I don't think that it delivers well. And I think a lot of waste is trying this or trying that or trying the other thing. I mean, you have to, <clears throat> when you go into a certain medium, you got to be there for a bit before you kind of get the traction and before you're, it's making sense. So I think that I, that's where I see the wastage. The other thing is um, trying to, trying to produce like long videos, short videos are probably better trying to produce, you know, let's put some white papers, let's put some blogs up, you know, the, more succinct the message and the better you research it, I think the better you optimize your, your budget dollars. I mean, you know, there's that old saying, I know that 50% of my marketing doesn't work. I just don't know which 50%. I think, <laughs> I think that's alive and well. And I think it's been going on for years. Yeah. Well, yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Jamie. To your point, Greg and I talk about TikTok brain all the time. And like TikTok brain is like literally, if you don't have somebody's attention for the in the first three to five seconds, you've lost them. But <laughs> and uh, you know, like so, there's a lot of there's a lot of that that goes on nowadays. And you know, to, to try and to try and have that that impact, you know, like you said, Gail, to have that that initial impact of of, of grabbing somebody's attention and keeping them. That's probably the the biggest impact. But it, you know, how do you do that? How do you figure that out? Yeah. And I mean, you want people not only to be engaged, but you want them to talk as well, right? Because you want it to be organic. You want it them to. It's a good point. On to their friends and whatever. And um, sometimes it's, sometimes it's about the, you know, the initial wording it's about, but not every piece of marketing has shock value. Sometimes you, you have to make it engaging, but not kind of silly, not kind of, you know, it has to fit. And I think I sometimes think that the B2B is a little bit more challenging because I think you may have a bit less creative scope in there. Although um, not being a, I could be verbally creative, but I certainly cannot be visually creative. I know it works, but I can't do it. So, you know, maybe someone who's, who's visually creative would could critique me on that. But I, I do think it's a little... I think there's a little less room you've got to do something really kind of grabby in the B2B space. But at the end of the day in the B2B space as well, you've got, you know, you're engaging people. So yeah. even though you're, you might be aiming towards a business, you, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a person that makes that decision. Yeah. I love it. Uh, I, I don't, I don't have anything else uh, to actually challenge you with today, Gail. Uh, we could probably talk for seven hours and you could tell me all the free advice that you wanted to give me. But, <laughs> but, well, I, after, but after six hours, I'd have to charge you. So. <laughs> <laughs> I know how valuable your time is. As long as we don't get backfilled for the previous six. <laughs> I know how uh, how important your time is, Gail. So, uh, you know, thanks a lot. Yes. Uh, 
Uh, I think uh, this would probably be great to be have a follow-up with this as well, just to dig into this just a little bit more. Uh, there is a lot of underlying stuff within marketing that we get asked a lot about. And, you know, it's it's the it's the experts like yourself that that we want to uh, you know communicate that those questions too. So uh, well, thank you for that. I mean, ultimately, it's not when you're talking about small to medium sized businesses, you're talking about it's very hard. You don't take the marketing out of the overall kind of business strategy. It's almost obviously there's a marketing component, but a lot of that is a lot of the business strategy becomes the marketing strategy. So um, I like talking about it. And uh, thanks very much for the opportunity. And you know, where we have, we've had so much change in the last couple of years, I think. And, you know, so many businesses have been upset in how they're doing things. I think we've got a fresh blackboard that we can write on. So I, it's a, it's an exciting time. Excellent. So you're, by the next time we talk to you, you're going to just blow us away again with something new. Is that what you're saying? Um, I'll have to think about that. Remember, <laughs> I, there's, I have a creative piece and the not so creative. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Gail, thank you very much. Gail. Okay, thank you guys. It was great to chat with you. Thanks. Have so a great, uh, have a great day and uh, we'll be in touch. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you.